Turn with me this morning to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. As Keith said, we're going through this series called a Psalm for Every Season. You know, the Psalms are a beautiful collection of, of uh, songs and poems reflecting the feeling and emotion of the people who wrote them. You know, the Psalms, as the Psalm this morning, Psalm 42, um, is addressed to the choir master and is called a maskil of the son of Korah, of the sons of Korah. And that word maskil comes from a word that means make someone wise or to instruct. So when you apply this word to this psalm, it means a song that instructs. A psalm that is intended to teach us something. And judging by the repeated refrain in this psalm that we will look at, this psalm is intended to to teach us how to handle depression. You know, I did some reading on depression, and, and 30 to 40 million people struggle with depression. And I'm sure some of you here today struggle with depression. And the psalmist here is discouraged. And so in those times when we get up in the morning and we say, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? The psalms are a great resource to help us to learn how to handle those moments. Oftentimes we think as Christians that because I'm a believer, because I've accepted Christ, I should never struggle with these kinds of feelings. And so as we read through the psalm, it is teaching us how to care for our soul. It's interesting, the movement in this psalm And the the writer of this psalm goes from lament to hope. From lament to hope. Over and over he laments and then he hopes. And lament is just a prayer or or cries to God on the occasion of a distressful situation. So so the the writer of this psalm is in a distressful situation. And yet in the midst of of his distress, of his lament, there's hope. Read with me. Psalm 1, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men are saying to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan to the heights of Hermon to the Mount of Miser. Deep calls out to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning and oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Send forth your light, your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, God, my God. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Father, let us put our hope in you. This morning as we look at these scriptures, I pray that you would give us hope in the midst of the darkest situations or the darkest feelings, may there be hope within us. Amen. You may notice that I read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Most people believe most um, that Psalm 42 and 43 are, are, are one psalm. They go together, and so that's why I read those two psalms together. You know, in the early 1990s, um, I went through a season of depression. You know, life was going well. I had a beautiful family, um, and yet I found myself in this state of depression. And rather than running to God, I began to put my hope in other things, in stuff. And as time went along, I found myself in a deep, dark, and narrow hole. And if you've ever experienced depression, you understand what I'm talking about when I say a deep, dark hole. I could see light at the top of, the, of this hole that I was in, but, but it was too far up, too high. The light was too far away for me to think that I could reach and see light again. I was no fun to be around. I didn't want to be with other people. I was gloomy and mopey. And it was very uncharacteristic of me. I like to be with people. I'm a pretty social person. And yet I found myself in this place where I was just discouraged, where I wanted to sleep, 
I wanted to be in the dark. I wanted to be by myself. And it was just really hard. I remember one day, Verda coming to me and sharing with me her concerns about, about what she was seeing in me, this different person that she was seeing. And, and her coming to me and sharing with me her concerns began to, to, to me on a journey of trying to figure out and understand what was going on. And the only thing I knew to do was turn to the Psalms. And so every day over the next probably year, I would just read a psalm or two or three. I would read a psalm until my soul felt better, until I felt lighter. And over a period of time, as I read and as I began to seek the Lord, the light became brighter. And slowly but surely, this hole that I was in began to become shallower and shallower until one day I was able to, through God's help, to, to crawl out of this hole of depression. For me, that was winter. A season of winter. It was a midwinter moment for me. It was like early February when you, when you know that there's at least eight weeks. The, 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 the um, groundhog comes out and he says there's six or eight or ten more weeks of winter. And you think there is no hope in sight. It's winter. It's cold, it's gloomy, it's dark, and you see no hope for sunshine ahead. That's where I was at. And in winter, it appears like everything is dead, that there is no life. And it just seems like life would be better without winter. And yet winter is important. Winter has value. I mean, look at the fruit tree. When you look at this tree, Keith said that, that this tree is dead. And in the winter when you walk up there to a tree and you look at it, you say, yep, this tree is dead. There is no life when you look at the trees. And yet... In winter, winter is a very important season for a fruit tree. Because it is in winter that a fruit tree, that any tree's roots continue to stay active and continue to slowly go deeper into the ground in search for water. And so, so the tree, its root system continues to grow and continues to make the tree more healthy because a tree is only as healthy as its root system. Winter is important for the tree. In winter, there's also this thing of pruning. And so you look at a tree, and as, as Steve said last week, you trim away the dead, the dying, the damaged, the deformed, and the diseased branches. And so, 
a fruit farmer goes and he looks at the tree and he is, with his trained eye, he very meticulously, like a surgeon, he trims away every branch that isn't needed. He trims away the dead branches, the dying branches, the diseased branches, and slowly but surely, he makes this tree healthy. It is in the dead of winter, and he has to do it in winter because that's when a tree can handle being pruned. So in the dead of winter, this tree continues to be made healthy. And this tree also needs this time of rest to prepare it for the next growing season. All of us will experience dreary, cold, and sometimes long seasons of spiritual winter. But I want to tell you that, that these seasons are healthy. You know, when I went through my season of, of depression, God showed me many things about myself. He showed me many things about himself. As I read through the Psalms, I learned to know him on a more intimate level. And as you look at the psalm today, as you look at the psalmist, we're going to look at, at the condition that he was in, what caused that condition, and then also how to cure, how he cured his condition. If you look at the psalm, it says that the psalmist draws us a picture of a deer that was panting after streams of water. So there's this picture of this, of this deer that's running through the woods. He's going to the place where he always gets his water. He's come a long distance. And when he gets there and he is, he is thirsty, beyond thirsty, he goes down and there's no water. There's no water there for him to drink. And so this deer is panting after streams of water. You see, the water in this psalm represents God. The deer represents the psalmist, and the psalmist says, I am thirsty, I am parched, I am dying of thirst. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Because the living God, just as water gives life to the deer, God gives life to us. And so the psalmist is looking for life, and he says, where can I go to meet with God? The psalmist here believes that God exists. He's not questioning God's existence. He just, at this moment in his life, he can't feel him. The relational experience that he's had with him in the past seems to be absent. He's experiencing spiritual dryness, darkness, and maybe even deadness. And when I was going through that dark time, and you may be able to relate, I didn't feel God. 
I did not believe in him. I just, like the psalmist, didn't feel him. He's lost his sense of God's presence. And one of the dangerous things about a season like this is at times we try to manufacture his presence. You see that happening all around. We try to manufacture his presence. And so you see this, this manufactured through things like holy laughter and, 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 and some really crazy things that are happening in the world because people are trying to, to manufacture God's presence. When we need to just continue to trust and believe. In these moments when we don't feel his presence, we must walk in faith. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote this during one of the most painful times in his life. He said, I cried out to God. I got a door slammed in my face and the sound of bolting and double bulking on the inside. And after that, silence. C.S. Lewis didn't feel God. And he wondered, where is he? He's being silent. Have you ever experienced this deafening silence as a believer? The thing we have to continue to remember is that just because you don't feel him doesn't mean that he's absent. But the psalmist's condition at this moment is that he doesn't sense the presence of God. That's the condition. And some of you maybe this morning are feeling that. You're feeling an emptiness. You're feeling like God isn't hearing you. So what in the psalmist, here in Psalm 42 and 43, what caused this man to feel and sense the emptiness that he was feeling? It says in verse 42, in, in verse 4, he says, I remembered as I poured out my soul how I used to go with the multitudes leading the procession to the house of God. What happened here? There was a disruption of community for the psalmist. So this man used to go to the house of God. He used to go and lead the procession and worship and be with other people worshiping. And it was a valuable part of his life. And now all of a sudden, for some reason, it was taken away. He was moved somewhere else. He used to worship with others in Jerusalem. But now he was no longer able to do that. And as he thought about his spiritual family and how they used to worship together, it saddened him. It depressed him. Because for him, corporate worship invigorated his faith. Because corporate worship is a vital part of his life. Corporate worship gathering together is a vital part of our lives. It is important for us to gather together to celebrate who God is and what God has done and what God will do in the future. It is very important that we gather together to worship. 
We need each other. We underestimate the importance of corporate worship. Because not being in community is dangerous for a believer. We need accountability as believers. We need accountability on what we believe, how we interpret scripture. We need accountability on how we're living life. We need to be exercising our spiritual gifts and doing the things God has has gifted us to do. We need each other when we face crisis. We need each other when we're going through spiritually dry seasons. That's why we believe here at Fairlawn that being a part of an adult Bible fellowship or a community group is a vital part of your spiritual journey. Is because we need each other. We need to walk with each other. But because we live in this individualistic society... We want to come to church as individuals and we want to go home as individuals. We want to come to church, we want to get a sermon and preferably, hopefully it's a really good sermon that meets my needs. We come for worship and hopefully the worship is my style of worship and it doesn't go too long or or I don't have to, to, to get up and raise my hands or go talk to somebody during worship. I want just to be in my little comfort zone and I want to sing a couple of songs or maybe I just want to stand there and hear some good music but but I want my worship and I want a little bit of fellowship not too much just a little bit and of course I want to get my cup of coffee or my latte hopefully it tastes really good and then I want to go home and be left alone we are very individualistic in our faith and living in community is a vital part of our faith and corporate worship for the psalmist was very important and it's important for us too so it was a disruption of community that that apparently adds to his or or causes some of his feelings of God not being there. But it was also life circumstance that caused him to feel like that. It says, my tears have been my food in verse 3, day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? In verse 10 it says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? So as you look at this, the psalmist is being taunted and basically being said, look, if your God is who you say he is, why are these things happening to you? We don't know what was happening to him. We just know that his enemies were taunting him and asking the question, where is your God? Why doesn't your God take care of you? And it causes the psalmist to ask this in verse 9, God, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by my enemies? 
Are you asking this morning that question? Are you asking, God, why have you forgotten me? God, why do I have to mourn? You know, every one of us will go through hard things in our lives. And some of you, I would imagine, right now are going through a hard thing. And you're asking, God, this isn't fair. And sign up for this. I thought when I become a Christian that, that all of my problems will go away. Everything will be good. You will take care of me. God, where are you? And maybe you're asking that. I've asked that question. I have at times in my life said, God, this is not fair. And the psalmist was saying, this is not fair. So his life circumstances was another thing that, that caused him to feel this, this depression. And there was also this thing, the thing of deprivation. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. So apparently, he says, look, my, 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 my tears have been my food. So he's not eating He's not sleeping, and that in itself causes us or can, can, can um, make us more susceptible to depression when we're not taking care of ourselves physically. It can lead to a state of depression. When we're overworking ourselves, when we're overstressed, when we're not eating right, it can cause it can cause depression. And when I'm not caring for myself emotionally and spiritually, those three things together can, can, can throw us into a season of or a time of depression. I must care for myself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you're not caring for yourself, it will affect. And so we see the psalmist struggling with this thing of depression. So what's the cure? How does he cure this? It says he pours out his soul. In verse 4 he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. When you feel these things, you, we need to pour out our souls. So I don't feel God in worship. I don't feel God when I pray. I don't feel God when I read his word. I don't feel him. I want to tell you this morning, when I began to read the Psalms during that time, initially I did not feel anything. But I pressed on. I continued to read. You must continue to worship. You must continue to pray. You must continue to read even when you don't feel him. 
Continue to talk to God about how you feel. Continue to talk to God about how much you miss his presence. Be steadfast in your discipline as a follower of Christ. Read, pray, worship. I must pour out my soul. Don't shut it down. Don't stop. I must analyze we must analyze your hope. He says in verse, 40, in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He says, Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise Him. He asks, Why are you downcast, O my soul? How did we get here? How did my soul get to this point of depression? And often it's because we're putting our hope in other things, in other stuff. And when we get into these moments, it's important that we examine our lives. If you're in this state of depression, you need to analyze your hope. You need to examine yourself. Because these dry times can expose things that we are putting our hope in that will ultimately let us down. We must relocate our hope in Him, in Christ. And remember the love and kindness of our Father. He says in verse 8, By day the Lord directs His love at night. His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. He remembers his hope is in God. As he thinks about life, as he thinks about his past, he realizes that only God is his hope. I must put my hope in him. I must. And then I think the most interesting part of, of the psalmist's approach to his depression was the way that he preaches to himself. He preaches the grace of God to his own heart. Listen to the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I think every commentary, every sermon that I read on this psalm quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones out of his book, Spiritual Depression. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you at the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment of Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing, now he's speaking of the psalmist, instead of allowing yourself to talk, instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he started talking to himself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen. For a moment, I will speak to you. Isn't that interesting? What the psalmist is saying here is, Saul, listen to me. 
I'm going to talk for a while. Let me explain to you the truth of God's word. Let me explain to you the hope that I have in God. You're not going to depress me anymore. There is truth here. I'm going to tell you about it. Look at the truth of God's word, soul. Look at it. The evidence of who God is. Soul, we're not going to forget about who God is. So we're going to walk by faith. We're going to re-believe the gospel. We're going to reclaim the promises of God. When we feel like God is not there, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must believe the truth of the gospel. When we can't feel God, we have to remember that the cross assures us that he is with you. He is for you. And nothing, nothing can ever separate us from his love. And there are times when we are in seasons of of depression, when we are discouraged, when we have to say, soul, listen to me. Christ died for my sins. He is with me. He will always be with me. Straighten up. We must preach to ourselves. And that's what the psalmist does here. And as you go back through and you read this psalm this week, look at how often the, the psalmist asks the question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you downcast? In Psalm 23, it says, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. As you're going through that valley of shadow of death, as you're going through that time of discouragement, because sometimes it feels like the valley of the shadow of death, trust in him. In closing, let me read Romans chapter 8. The hope that we have in him in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither any height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our Tell your soul that. Soul, nothing can separate us from him. Nothing. And as you preach to yourself, it doesn't always, I know there are different, different types and, and, and stages of depression, but when we are struggling with, with spiritual depression and, and we are in a dark moment, read this psalm. 
and learn from it. Let's pray. Father, um, this morning I pray specifically for those people that are feeling like they're in that dark hole. Father, would you lift them out of that dark hole? Would you remind them of truth, of your goodness, of your mercy? Would you give them strength today? In Christ's name that I pray. Amen.